1: Welcome to the Good News with Angie Austin. Now, with the Good News, here's Angie.
2: Hi, friend. Angie Austin here. So many people like to dislike their boss, but until they're in the position of the boss, they don't understand what it's like. My husband just uh, lost an employee because they promoted her to be a manager. So when people did not do their job, rather than ride them or tell them they had to do it or check in with them and find out when they were going to do it, she would do it. And so then that really takes down the productivity of your company when you have one boss trying to take up the slack for several employees that don't feel they have to do anything for that boss because she doesn't hold them accountable. So then they promoted someone else and she quit. She said, well, you know, I, I wanted this job. There's no room for me to move up. And they're like, well, we did move you up, uh, but she, she couldn't delegate. She couldn't hold people responsible.
0: Well, and that's the challenge we often have is sometimes promotions is a very different skill set. And just what made a person great at what they did is not going to necessarily translate into good management or good leadership skills. I see this all the time that we just don't have that experience. And sadly, ed- education doesn't always teach it.
2: Yeah. I think that many of the characteristics of a good leader aren't part of a business class. They're crunching numbers. They're talking about marketing, but, uh, the ability to delegate, uh, communication, um, integrity, uh, influence,
0: but we teach those things, but I think there's a difference between being able to define them, being able to understand them is very different than actually using them.
2: (laughs) You know, it's interesting. Um, My one of my old bosses told me that when she was in charge of scheduling, she found out that the the most important thing to an employee is scheduling when they'll be out the hours they work and the hours they'll be off because everybody kind of had like preferences that you really have to walk that tightrope. I had one boss who, if you called in sick, she would guilt you so much that you didn't want to call in sick, but there were times when. I was in a ridiculous medical situation when I still didn't want to call in sick because she, her tactic was to never believe you. So you'd always feel horrible when you called in. At least I did, you know, because she'd make you feel so guilty.
0: Uh, I definitely understand. It's not the what, it's the how. We talk about this in class all the time, but the challenge becomes, again, that they they know about these skills, they know that it's important for these skills, but there isn't that practicum of actually practicing these skills until oftentimes they get promoted, and then they take some tactics that really don't work out so well for them.
2: (laughs) So why do you think people so many people are quitting right now they got a taste of what it was like to work from home or try something new or why do you think so many people are resigning and they're calling it the great resignation
0: I think part of this is failure and part of this is urgency and by that I mean two things is many people who are starting to try to look at their idea of building a new business for example they figured if someone else can do it and I can work at home then I can do it too, but they're really not always prepared for what they find. I know a lot of people cannot work at home, and they struggle with the time management because there's so many distractions at home, right? Building your own business, I've had one for 15 years. It is not easy. Everyone seems to think going, oh, well, if I'm the boss, things get easier. No, it's just a different set of butts to kiss. You still have to be in charge. You still have to be accountable. You still have to do a lot, and oftentimes way more than if someone else was carrying the load. You know, it's
2: interesting you say different butts to kiss because I was just sending uh, my daughter some texts yesterday. Let me get in here. She's uh, in middle school. She's in seventh grade. And she said, uh, here's what she said. And this it reminds me of a millennial quitting a job because their feelings are hurt. Mm. Oh, oh, OMG, mom. I was just checking in to see if you could switch classes for me. I was in health talking to Ava, and the health teacher is writing me up for being late to the next class and being disruptive. Okay, so that's just like saying that person irritated me, didn't understand my motives, um, misunderstood me in general, and so I want to quit the class. And I said, it'll be fine. You're not in trouble with us. And just apologize and move on. Normally, if you're respectful to the teacher, uh, they get over it, or at least they don't hold it over you for the entire semester. I said, as you learned in your art class, it's not fun, but sometimes you have to suck it up. I said, I do it all the time. Then the problem just kind of disappears. Most people can't apologize because they want to show that they're right. They want to win, but really they lose because they don't diffuse the problem. Then it just makes the situation worse because the teacher gets more and more angry and treats you even worse. So if you apologize, it just kind of ends the problem. And then I said, because we have a couple people in our family who can't apologize. I mean, literally cannot apologize. I said, um... You know, it's, it's not a big deal to apologize. Usually both people are kind of wrong anyway. So it's okay to apologize. And then sometimes they do it too. I'll tell you one thing between me and dad, I always apologize first. And then dad always apologizes second, but he won't apologize first, just like his mom. She won't apologize at all. So anyway, we kind of just go, I said, it sounds really stupid, but it's the easiest way. to no, kind of no, no. get, get rid of it's- tension. And here's how I ended it. You get rid of the tension, but you have to mean it. You have to apologize with sincerity, not sarcastically. And then she wrote back, yes. And she goes, and about you and dad, that's so right. Ha ha ha.
0: But that is so thrilling. And here's the key to that. I really believe it is that most men tend to think apologies are a sign of weakness. Yes. And they are actually a sign of strength I and totally vulnerability.
2: Agree. Totally and agree. And that's
0: something they their egos can't handle because they don't want to appear less than. And to be honest, a an apology makes you appear more than because you're willing to say, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm vulnerable. I didn't do this correctly. And let's find a way to go forward because I can acknowledge it instead of sweeping it under the rug, avoiding it and pretending that the elephant in the room isn't the elephant in the room.
2: <laughs> well, I would say half the time or maybe 60% of the time, my husband has actually handled it too aggressively, like in a situation, let's say with us or with the kids. And so when I apologize, he does know that he's overreacted and he always apologizes. And sometimes it hasn't happened in years, but it used to be, if it was real tense, I would write him an, an email or a text and like, that way it wasn't too tense when we interacted about the apology right
0: exactly because there and that's the whole point of communication right there angie that's brilliant sometimes there are different tools in the toolbox that can help accelerate or decelerate a specific you know in- incident and sometimes a quick text it's far easier than getting on the on the uh, you know on the phone or something because tensions are high and you know the and here we're after the races because you just can't quite get into that calm and clear mode of trying to make it productive. The emotions get in the way, and so right. sometimes that's a brilliant way is to text it and email it, and then gives the other person a, a chance to think about it and to maybe make peace with it without because defensiveness brings breeds defensiveness. And well, and so- I've got
2: two people: my mom and my brother. Uh, one of my brothers, that when you apologize, then they have to further school you. Okay, but next time, this, that, this, that, and the other. And it's just so irritating. You just don't even want to stand there for the dressing down. But um, and my, I told my son that, too. Yesterday we were talking about apologies as well. And he laughed. He goes, oh, that's so true. When you apologize to Grand, she has to, like, school you. I said, yeah. I said, um, and I always bring his, my son's attention back to, many years ago we were on, on our way up to, I love this place, the YMCA of the Rockies at a family camp up in Estes Park and okay. we go there several times a year and my husband had come home from work and we are you know we'd loaded everything up and keep in mind I'm five feet tall my husband's six six and he's very strong you know he's in great shape so as uh, everything's you know loaded in the car we think we're about I don't know 20 minutes half an hour from the house and he said did you load my suitcase I said what he goes did you put my suitcase in I said uh, 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 no he goes, "What? you didn't put my suitcase in? I'm thinking, why would I put your suitcase in the car? Like, you know, you're stronger than I am. What am I, like the family mule? So uh, he, we we turn around and he's all irate, you know, that I forgot to load his suitcase. And then he goes inside to get it, right? And I'm sitting in the car with all three of the kids. And I turn around to my son and I said, watch how mommy makes this problem completely go away. So he gets in the car. He's still irritated because now we're like an hour behind, right? And uh, it affected something else we had to do. So it was kind of, you know, it was a big inconvenience. It wasn't just for fun. We had to stop for a business-related thing on the way. So I turned uh, to my son and I winked at him and I said to my husband, I'm really sorry that I forgot to, put your, to load your suitcase into the car. And then he says... Oh, don't worry about it. I should have loaded to myself. I shouldn't have blamed you for it, blah, 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 blah. Then I turned back around, looked at my son and winked like, see how easily rather than me being mad for the whole weekend. And sometimes they'll say like, well, why did you apologize? And I'll say something like, well, because I wanted us to have a great weekend. I want us to have fun together as a family and not waste the weekend like, you know, being mad at each other and being petty.
0: The Art of Diplomacy, Angie. Well done, well done, well done.
2: (laughs) I know he'll never forget that one because it was so obviously not my fault that I didn't load my big, muscular, strong husband's suitcase in the back of the SUV.
0: Yeah, the, the, the secret to apologizing is really making him know that it's their fault, even though you started the conversation and they know and you know that they know, you know, and it just <laughs> smiles.
2: <laughs> it just sounded so dumb. I'm really sorry that I didn't load your suitcase for you, like carry it out and load it into the back of the SUV. Yeah, I'm sure he was like, oh, wait a second. Maybe I should have done that myself. Well, we've got a couple of minutes left. So as far as leadership goes, you say that you do teach them about the oh, things yes. like integrity, being on time, delegate. But I think so few people do it well. And a lot of bosses I've seen rise to power by being complete jerks. And because they're brash and pushy and know how to delegate, they move up because they're like, well, at least they can get people to do their jobs. But then a lot of people are just plain miserable underneath them.
0: Well, and that's the challenge. I used to think when I first started college 22 years ago that no one, everyone was absent the day they taught leadership. You know, leadership is a core class for almost every degree imaginable in there. And it doesn't seem like anyone has ever done it before, as if they've dri- never driven in snow, right? The first snow of the season. Right. But now I've revamped this. It's like, yeah, they know what it is. They can define it on a test. They can define maybe 30 of the 65 kinds. They know what delegating and communication and the rest of it. But there's somehow of a disconnect between there's that word and there's the action and so that's what I try to connect to. It's like, it's not enough to know what it is. You have to know how to use it. I mean, knowing that you can go into your toolbox and go, well, that's a screwdriver and that's a hammer and those are channeled. You know, I mean, you go through and you name them all. I'm like, if you don't know what they do and how they do and what they do well, what's the point of knowing their name?
2: <sighs> yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am. Um... So, yeah,
0: I think they were all there. They taught leadership, but they can name it, they can put a label on it, but they've never taken that tool out of the toolbox very often.
2: You know, it's so interesting uh, about uh, names because I'll never forget um, Mike Opelka, who you know well, said to me once that he was working with this millennial and I know there are a lot of great millennials out there. So please, I shouldn't lump you together like that. But he said this new millennial kid started and uh, he said that he wasn't even going to learn anybody's name except for the bosses because he wasn't planning to stick around in that position long enough to really care who, uh, you know, anyone's name. And it's like, (laughs) first of all, who would have the stupidity to say that.
0: What do you do? Thing number one? Thing number two? You just don't acknowledge that anyone's existence? I'm like, wow, I would... How long did they last would be my question. They were like quit in two months or something. Yeah, I don't don't think
2: it worked out very well for them. (laughs) Well, in the next segment, uh, we're going to have a little more with Dr. Cheryl Lentz, the academic entrepreneur, and also be joined by Jim Stovall. Every uh, week he writes a winner's wisdom column and he teaches us so many great things. He's written over 50 books. He lost his eyesight when he was quite young and had to completely change his path. And he says he makes a lot of money so that he can give a lot of money away. And he's a tremendous man of God. Cheryl, give us your website.
1: DrCherylLentz.com.
2: We'll be right back.
1: ARC Thrift Stores has been an essential part of Colorado's economy with an economic impact of $2 billion over 15 years. And the pandemic proved ARC is an essential business. During the shutdowns due to COVID-19, ARC Thrift Stores distributed almost 200 tons of food to people in need and distributed thousands of pounds of essential supplies to homeless shelters and child care centers. That included over 100 million pounds of recycled donations to keep them out of the landfills. And unlike other nonprofit organizations, their outreach has not stopped. ARC currently has three to five relief efforts per week for the homeless, people with substance abuse issues, people who are unemployed, for criminal rehabilitation, and more. When you shop at your local ARC, Your hard-earned money directly supports an essential company that gives back to its community. Decide to shop today at the ARC Thrift Store near you. Find the nearest location at 670KLTT.com.
2: Evergreen is tuned to the mighty 670 KLT Denver. Welcome back to the Good News with Angie Austin, also Dr. Cheryl Lentz, academic, entrepreneur, author, speaker, professor. And Dr. Cheryl Lentz, I know that you also know Jim Stovall, who will be joining us in a minute, and Mike Opelka as well. And we're talking about uh, his column this week it's Don't Be an Idiot.
3: Yeah,
0: we've had those candid conversations with some of my students and they're, they're a little taken aback when, yes, I feel the need to remind you of this. <laughs>
2: I, I think there's, okay, I'm teaching my kids this now because they'll say things within the family and I'll say to them, you know, you can't say that anywhere else, Right. I mean, we're in a different world when it comes to what you're allowed to say anyway, when it comes to freedom of speech. But secondly, more so, it has to do with like social awareness and what is kind to say, what's empathetic to say, uh, what is uh, like when someone says something cruel to them. And oh, gosh, I won't even tell you what happened at the swim meet the other day. But as um, as my daughter was uh, jumping up on the block, you know, there's a lot of uh, controversy about people who are born male swimming as females now identifying as a female and when my daughter jumped up on the block um one of the kids said to her what are you identifying as a female today and then hope glanced over and oh gosh I'm just gonna say it she goes are you too because you need to shave your beard
0: Well, there's the old adage, just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> I'm
2: just, she goes, well, I just don't like it when people give me flack. So I just come right back at him. I'm like, I know, but as a Christian, we're supposed to meet him with kindness. But I also don't want her to get stepped on. And it was a pretty good comeback pretty quickly. You know? <laughs> Yeah, it's
0: hard when mom has to turn away going, yeah, and going, you're not supposed to do that. What's and funny is like,
2: my daughter is so beautiful and so feminine, but she's a very good swimmer and she's very strong, you know, for 14. She's very, I guess kind of muscular but um yeah it's an interesting world when you're involved with sports and there's competition now coming from you know much stronger um females who were born men i guess i don't we don't have time to get into that whole topic maybe we'll save that for another time but i just want to make sure people know what you do and you know where they can find you and you know some ideas for what we might want to discuss next week because you'll be joining me weekly as you have done for many years on uh two or three of my programs
0: Absolutely, and I appreciate that. I do quite a little bit of everything in there. I am a speaker in there. My TED Talk was amazing on failure of all things. How is it amazing? You've got a 22-year year career as a accomplished faculty, and you're known for
2: failure. I'm telling you, the economy is funny. <laughs> hey, what did you title it? Tell us again.
0: Uh, the Anatomy of Failure, Where Failure Lives in the Brain. So and it's How do people stay- find
2: your TED Talk on failing to success?
0: Easiest to go to my website. The link's right there, drsherrilence.com. That's probably the easiest way to find it. Um, going through the TEDx website uh, takes a little bit of time. But you can look up by my name as well, but it's really kind of interesting and a little bit ironic to spend a career
2: based on failure. <laughs> well, I love it that you know Jim Stovall as well. Thanks. Hopefully, Absolutely. maybe we can do a segment with the three of us at some point in time. But uh, <laughs> He wrote thank
0: the foreword for one of my books. It was wonderful. Oh,
2: I love that. All right. Cheryl, thank you. And uh, don't hang up yet. You'll want to listen in. Uh, joining us is Jim Stovall, author and speaker, author of over 50 books now. And each week he writes a column, the Winter's Wisdom column. Michael Pelka joining me as well. Good friend of the show. And uh, this uh, this week's title is Don't Be an Idiot, Jim. What are you going to teach us this week?
3: I actually was doing a audio uh, teaching program with a friend of mine from the uh, National Speaker Association and uh, and he was kind of emotional that morning and he said he had sent his youngest off to college uh, the previous morning and it, you know he said it was a tough parting and all that and, and so I just you know being a well-known speaker and author did you have any advice for your young son as you send him out into the world And he said, I did. I went out to the car with him, helped him load, and I hugged him. And then I said, wherever you go, whatever you do, don't be an idiot. And, you know, at first I thought, what a flippant thing for a father to say to his son. But then uh, over the uh, intervening time, I've had some uh, occasions to think about it. And that may be the most universally acceptable, applicable uh, advice we could ever give anybody because you know, when we really think about it, we often don't fail because we don't know what to do. We fail because we don't do what we know. And how many times have we screwed up made a mistake, been rude, been insensitive, dropped the ball. And then we stopped and said, you know, I knew better than that. I, I, I shouldn't have done, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's not taking our own advice that, uh, that really kills us. And, uh, so, uh, you know, the and I would encourage anyone, you know, get out your local newspaper and look at the headlines. And You know, this guy went to prison, this guy bankruptcy, you know, and you just look at it. And you say, OK, he was an idiot. He was an idiot. She was an idiot. And they knew better than that. I mean, it wasn't that this surprised them, that this uh, behavior ended up in that way. They were just acting like an idiot. Hmm.
4: I will- I- Go ahead, Mark. I'm going to go through today's paper and do the idiot index, Jim, in honor of this, because I think you're hundred percent right. And we could be in a so much better place if we, and those around us just didn't act like idiots.
3: Well, and we hold other people to a higher standard often than we hold ourselves. And that's one of the things that always makes me crazy is these people that uh, they want to hold me to a higher standard than they hold themselves. And I admire people that hold themselves to a higher standard than they apply to the rest of the world but you know if we really look at this and we're in a situation and if we knew a friend or an acquaintance in the same situation what would we tell them to do and if we would then do that we would be much much better off but often we we judge everyone else's actions but we let ourselves off the hook because we judge our own intentions. Well, I meant to do well, or I didn't mean to do that, or I was going to be on time, or I should have followed through on that. And, uh, you know, we, we we let ourselves off the hook. Hmm.
2: Yeah, it's interesting how we give ourselves um, maybe more leeway or freedom to be an idiot than we give others. Hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we do. And, uh, you know, and and, and in reality, if we just would do what we know, you know, there's no one listening to us right now that doesn't have enough knowledge or information to achieve all their goals and do what they want to do in this life. We're the most over-knowledged, under-wisdomed people that have ever inhabited this planet. We know what to do. We just don't do it often enough.
4: There's a real interesting measure. Are you wise or do you do you use the wisdom or you you just sit there and let the smarts fester and do nothing?
3: Right. I mean, if knowledge was the key to success, our college campuses would be full of uh, people are achieving and reaching all of their personal and professional goals. And this often is not the case, you know, uh, uh, and once again, we fail cause we don't do what we already know to do. And uh, that's probably one of the biggest problems we have in our society. We're over-informed and we, you know, when it's all said and done, there's a lot said and very little done. You
2: know, when you, um, you, you talk in the article about the audio project titled motivation versus irritation and the whole concept of either, you know, gaining pleasure or avoiding pain. I think you know my husband's a really good, real good example for the kids because on the weekend, even if it's you know really cold outside, uh, he will get up and be out in the garage fixing and doing things you know that really aren't very pleasant. And we have like a cleaning time and you know things that you know the kids think are like punishment, uh, but we're we're trying to teach them at these. Horrible things keep them from being embarrassed when their friends come over and the house is messy or that, you know, the car doesn't work or something's broken in the house. And so we're trying to teach them that some of those things that are painful d- do help us uh, avoid pain later, even though they're not very pleasure, as, as, you know, as pleasurable as going to the zoo or, you know, having friends over or playing video games.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh you know, pain uh, when we're adults, we, we, we come to realize that, uh, you know, you, you pay now or you pay later. And if you pay later, it's always worse. Uh, I, a, a, uh, we talked about it before an intelligent person solves problems, a genius avoids them. And, uh, You know, are you going to be the guy that has to touch the stove or are you going to watch someone else do it and say, no, I think I'm good? Or, unfortunately, there's people that just repeatedly line up and touch the hot stove time after time after time and then say, well, I knew better than that. And, uh, you know, we if we just did what we knew to do. But, you know, if knowledge equated to success, we'd all be rich, then and happy. We know what to do. We just don't do it.
2: With the, um, with the advice, you know, um, when you talk in the article about, you know, giving the best, uh, uh, repeating the best advice, you were asked what's the you know, best advice you've ever given, and then you repeat the story about, you know, don't be an idiot, and you know what Larry said to his son going off to college. Does he explain it, you know, even a little more in depth? Because I it, 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 it think it needs an explanation, don't you?
3: Well, you know, you know, yeah, you have to understand. You'd have to know Larry to know that, uh, I mean, he lives his whole life that way, but... Uh, He's kind of in your face, and uh, uh, you know, and he always says that if we're not getting what we want out of this life, we're either lazy, stupid, or we don't care. And uh, and I, you know, I kind of want to motivate people a little more with the carrot, and he just believes uh, there's the stick. And uh, are we going to gain pleasure or avoid pain? But whatever it takes to move us, we need to move. But it's ridiculous to acquire knowledge. If we're not going to apply it in the form of wisdom and, you know, if we just stop and think before we act or as the is the great carpenters always tell you uh, measure twice, cut once. And, uh, you know, it saves a lot of time. And if you just did what you knew to do, life would be so much better.
4: I love the idea and I'm harping on it because it's striking a chord with me, Jim. Uh, that that we need to convert knowledge into wisdom. And maybe there's a, a converter we can use, because I think that will prevent some idiotic behavior. If you can focus on converting knowledge to wisdom, I think you can avoid being an idiot. And uh, I, I'm not anyone who relishes. I don't know anyone who relishes being an idiot. So I think this could be a real big key. I appreciate this one today more more than I can tell you.
3: Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I spoke recently at a uh, at a legal convention. A whole group full of lawyers, and there was a guy who came up afterwards, and he, you know, he said, "I'm a criminal attorney, and if everybody applied this, I'd be out of work. There'd be nowhere else to go because, uh, you know, uh, here we are early in the week, and if you go down to any jail anywhere in America or anywhere in the world, and you look at all the people that got locked up all weekend." And you ask them what happened, you know, in their own terms, they'd explain it, but they were being an idiot. They knew better than to do whatever it was they did.
2: It's just hilarious that someone told you that if people applied this, you wouldn't have any work.
3: Right. Uh, You know, imagine a, a criminal attorney. I mean, everybody's being an idiot. You know, what makes you think this behavior is going to work well for you?
2: I just think a lot of people think they're going to get away with it. It's a, it's a sneaky mindset.
3: Yeah. And I always wonder, don't you guys ever watch those TV shows where they have these brilliant criminal scientists and they figure this out? What makes you think you're going to get away with this, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and all these guys that run around now and do things and you think, don't you realize you're on camera, you know, the majority of time when you leave your house, I mean, somewhere, somebody has got you on surveillance camera and, uh, just do the right thing and don't be an idiot and things will work out pretty good.
2: You're no kidding. All right, Jim, your website, please.
3: Jim Stovall, S-T-O-V-A-L-L, jimstovall.com.
2: Thank you, Jim. Don't be an idiot.
4: Not uh, you either. Oh, you guys. And Mike, you just, you just, you just do your me. best. Thank you. Uh, I, when I left for college, my uncle looked at me and said, everybody's got to grow up sometime. It might as well be this fall for you.
3: Right, and you're still working on that, and that's good, Mike.
4: Working work hard every day. Thank
2: you, Jim. So <laughs> there
3: Thanks, Be Jim.
2: Well.
1: Thank you for listening to the good news with Angie Austin on AM 670 KLTT.